Talking about the West Coast, I'm the face of it. Gangster in designer clothes, I'm the face of it. <laughs> what the, what the, if it, if it, what you think it is, fool? You don't even listen to YG, blood? Seriously? Hard bottoms and white socks? Really? Shout out to my man, Chuck Dubs. You know what I'm saying? Down at Heroes Martial Arts for reminding me how dope that song is. Thank you for listening to FarsideTV.com. You are locked in. Locked in the side life radio and as always i am your host adisa the bishop aka the black dragon of the west side aka zato ichi 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 aka the south bay shogun aka the iron hook assassin beware aka the Black Cortez Killer. You know when you see me in those, you time to bow down, fool. Ain't nobody triller than me, homeboys and girls. That's right. Bishop Chronicles is the world's first uno nuno podcast giving you West Coast perspectives on hip-hop, MMA, and health and fitness trends. Ain't nobody out there, not one of y'all. You? Hmm? Is you doing it? Now sit, you ain't even doing that. Sit down. Ain't nobody out there lacing your cranium with this here vibranium right in that dome like a decent a bishop. So you can be down now or you can bow down later. Because the West Side, oh geez, we stay greater. We stay greater. Boom, 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 boom. A quick note for those listening for the first time. First time listeners, you, yeah, up front. Mm hmm. I see you. I thought you were brand new. Welcome, welcome. Everybody, welcome. Welcome them. Um, in case you don't know, if this is your first time listening to the Bishop Chronicles show, <laughs> understand, this may not be the best thing. It may not. <laughs> but a show enough is the West thing. But a show enough is the West thing. But a show enough, show enough, show enough, show enough, show enough is the West thing. On the real though, on the real though. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you for real, for real, for real, for real. Fr, fr. Okay. Um, I appreciate y'all. And as always, it is this point in the show when I say subscribe. Would you? Stop playing like you don't have that kind of time. Subscribe. I don't know where to subscribe at, bro. Where, where, where do I do it? How many times do I have to tell you? We have this conversation every single show. Spotify, iTunes, Mixcloud, Libsyn. Get on it, please. You know what I'm saying? Because you know why, bro? We growing. The BCP Army. The Bishop Chronicles podcast army is on the rise. Send a raven. On the real, I super appreciate y'all, especially after this last show, that Camp Tazo show, where I'm talking about RZA and the Shaolin Monk, bruh, Xi'an Ming, bruh. 
So much love for that. I am hella grateful to all of you for passing it on, for posting it. I've been seeing y'all tag me in the stories. I love it. Super grateful, you know? I know y'all been passing it on because the numbers, little by little by little, they're growing. And it means a lot to me. So, um, as stated before, please also pass on one show that you like to someone you think would dig it. It could be the Mac Miller tribute show. It could be the show on Pop Smoke. Hella people like that show. Mad grateful for for the love on that. It could be the Camp Tazo one I was just talking about. Women in hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Um, I appreciate it. You know what I mean? Still getting love on the Juice World show. Appreciate y'all. And now it is time for the heartbeat props. The heartbeat prop section of the show is where I remind you to call three people, call them for five minutes, three for five, three for five, and you're going to tell them why you appreciate them. Okay? Be specific, right? Because what we don't want, especially in this time of Corona and everything, right? And what we don't want coming off the tragedy of Kobe Bryant, right? is to not let the people we know know that we love them. Not let them know why they're appreciated. Not assume that people get how much you care. You know what I'm saying? And Tupac cares if don't nobody else care. So my heartbeat props right now are going out to first on IG follow at rap is a martial art. This dude is so dope. At rap is a martial art. He's a kung fu dude. He's a dope rapper. Like, you know, there's a lot of people who be trying to be like, yeah, I rap about martial arts and it's cool. And it's actually weak. (laughs) It's hella trash. Um, But this dude is raw. He makes dope videos. He's super positive. Black dude actually speaks Chinese. Chinese. He's embodying the spirit of Shaolin for real. And been that way. So big shout out to you, bro. And I appreciate your support of Bishop Chronicles. I appreciate your support of HHCF. And um, it means a lot. It means a lot. You're dope. And I appreciate you for the sincerity that you bring to the spirit of that fusion of hip hop and martial arts. It's very real. I see it. I love our conversations. I look forward to hanging out at some point soon. Next up, my good man, Simon, at Perling London. P-U-R-L-I-N-G, London, Perling, London. They make the dopest high-end chess boards. They sell at Harrods. Harrods is like, if you don't know what Harrods is, it's in London, and it's like Nordstrom's on steroids on meth. Just high-end stuff everywhere. And they make these really dope designer chess boards that are made not only creatively with top-tier artists, but they're made ethically with ethical concepts in mind. Not only in terms of, of the materials of the chess board, but the themes of the chess boards. Hella dope. And then my homie Shafiq. Hey, what's up, Shafiq, bro? Out there. Ooh, mm, 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 mm. My homie in London, bro. Shafiq, you know what I mean? Some Lakeham, bro. You know what I'm saying? We out here, bro. You know what I'm saying? Let's get some halal, boy. Where Nando's at? Shafiq, you're hella dope. There's a million things I could say about you. But this is what I'm going to say. Thank you for introducing me to Samurai Executioner. You have changed a player's life by introducing me to Samurai executioner especially that first volume 
when the demon knife weeps? Do you hear me? Listen to that. You already know it's grimy, bruh. When the demon knife weeps. Woo! But I hell of appreciate you because you are hella funny. We nerd out on the same vibe. And um, yeah, we both like Nando's, which I mean, who doesn't? And you know what? I shouted out Simon. I did the whole thing on on like the dope boards, but I didn't say Simon is actually hella smart, hella funny, and I appreciate uh, the kindness uh, when I when I come to town. You know, when we hang out, you know, uh, sharing the coolness of the projects that you're working on, and your whole team is dope. You know what I mean? The whole Portland London team is dope. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you, Simon. I really appreciate you, Shafiq. You know what I'm saying? And um, yeah. Oh, by the way, Shafiq is not on IG or social media. That boy is an enigma wrapped in a conundrum shrouded in a mysterious cloud. And now it is time for the West Side Word of the Week. It is the West Side Word of the Week. What do we do? We help you walk around the West Coast. Not talking stupid so you don't get slapped up. But beyond slapping, what we do is we share with you words that we use so you don't sound like an out-of-towner, right? Or it's cool to be an out-of-towner. We ain't that mad. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? West Coast. You know what I'm saying? We got love. But what I am saying is when you hear people talk and you be like, oh, I don't know what that means. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to keep you from that. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to keep you from that part of the game. So this West Side Word of the Week is slapper. Slapper. What is a slapper? It's a good song. It's a good song. So like, hey man, you heard that new track by uh DJ Mustard, bro? Yeah, man. That song slaps, bruh. Song slaps, bruh. It's also imperative that your slap and your bruh, like, have extra grime on it. Like, you hear how my bruh is almost like a duck quack? Like, slaps, bruh. Like, bruh, bruh. You know what I mean? Bruh. You got to, like, put the B at the front of it. You know what I mean? But a slapper is just a dope beat. And one of the things that I think that the reason, um, the reason why uh, we call things slappers is really because of the funk West Side-ness, right, of the slap that comes from, like, uh, George Clinton, you know what I'm saying? Um, don't shock, but don't shock, don't, don't shock. That impact of the snare. Like, I know 808 is a science, and I love the science of the 808. That's understood. But the art of the snare for you beat makers is everything. If you haven't listened to the show with the architect when I interview him, the snare is crucial. It's almost more important than the actual bass drum or the bass line to me. I judge a lot of beats on how hard that snare. You know what I mean? So there is your West Side Word of the Week. Slapper. And from there, we're going to slow it down. All right. We're going to slow it down. Because that coffee I've been drinking is evident on all of this opening of the show. But we're going to slow it down, and we are going to do this week's haiku. A haiku is a Japanese poem of three lines. 
the first line is five syllables long, the second line is seven, and the third line is five syllables long. They can rhyme, but they do not have to. They can rhyme, but they do not have to. I started out doing obsessive haikus about jujitsu after my jujitsu training. And then that kind of grew into like a stoic thing. And then, you know, like Sufi-based philosophical haikus. And connected in that theme is yoga. I have been doing a lot more yoga since I went out to London by design for my health, my, 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 my sense of personal peace, right? Emotional centeredness. And it's good for my body, just genuinely. So I would normally do like yoga for like 15, 20 minutes max, right? But I wasn't really being present in all of my poses. I wasn't really being deliberate in my stillness. And one of the things that I've tried to convey to jujitsu people and just to human beings in general is that simply this, if you cannot be still, right? Rooted in stillness and conviction, you can never move with conviction. You think you are. But if you cannot be still and rooted in peace and conviction, you will never move in conviction. You might be wild, you might be aggressive, you might be forceful, but you won't be connected to yourself and your movement and your presence in your movements, they'll be lacking. So now I've been doing longer yoga sessions that are usually at least half hour 45, sometimes into an hour, sometimes past, but at least half hour 45. And I usually do two sessions a day. And then I meditate. A lot of people, when I first started doing yoga, many, 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 many years ago, like 2000, maybe, maybe 98, I'm not sure. But anyway, the guy who first taught me yoga taught me at San Jose City College. He was great. And I forget his name, but he told me a few things. One was that, you know, when you... And it's weird because these days, because yoga is so popular, like there's Hatha yoga, which is what I do. There's Ashtanga yoga. Everybody talks about Bikram yoga. You know what I'm saying? There's all different kinds of yogic styles. And it was interesting because I was very stiff when I first went in. I thought I was flexible, but I was not flexible. And when I went to take this class, you know, there were men and women that were way more flexible than me. And there were people like me who were not as flexible as those guys. And he noticed that people were, you know, like you just trying to, I couldn't sit in lotus position. I didn't have that kind of flexibility. And so he was like, look, you know, don't be pulling your leg on top of your other leg or pulling this leg back or pushing that part of your back forward if you're not really there. The point is to find your limit in the pose Right? Like if you're trying to reach for your toes. I know people that can't touch their toes. If you can't touch your toes, wherever you stop, he said, that's where you go. Go to your limit and be at peace with your limit. And when you consistently return to your limit and you're at peace with it, eventually you'll get beyond it. And eventually you'll get beyond that. Right? And then what happens is you find out quite frankly, that you're virtually limitless. When he told me that, it changed everything. It changed the stress of, I can only go here. My leg only goes there right now. Or I can only bend forward so far. 
I'm telling you, man, this dude really changed my life. That's why I'm sad that I forgot his name. Shady, but I'm old now. You know, and so he was like, look, you know, the reason people get hurt, and this is why I mentioned those other yogic styles, because Hatha is just about finding the pose and breathing in peace in that pose, right? Can you get strong doing yoga? Yes, but it shouldn't be a, a replacement for a workout, right? Can you improve your cardio with yoga? Probably, but it shouldn't be a replacement for a proper cardio exercise, right? And so he said, look, the reason people are starting to get injured in yoga, he said, nobody's supposed to get injured in yoga. And that anytime you see somebody getting injured in yoga, where's their mind? Where's their presence? Where's their ego? Right? Things are being overdone. And in some ways, in many ways, some of these yogi or yogic trends that you see on TV, online, etc., are really hurting people because they're trying to compare themselves to others. They look at somebody next to them and they go, oh, this dude can like wrap his leg around his neck three times. Let me try that. Oh, right. And the lady's like, oh, my God, she can totally like bend backwards like that. I'm going to do it, too. Oh, my shoulder, my shoulder. And that's not the point. The point is to go within yourself. The point is to be at peace. And so in the morning, I do my yoga before I leave for work and I meditate. And this was a haiku that came up to me. So because I'm on this yoga vibe, uh, my good man, Mike, bro, can you please pull up a sitar? That's right. We're going to visualize that I'm sitting on a woven mat. I am wearing gray sweatpants. Can I get some water flowing by the river? I need a sitar. I want you to consider, listeners, that Nag Champa is wafting in the breeze. Right? Like it's not heavy, like someone's lit it, it's kind of upstream, and we can just, we can, we can smell it just a little bit when we breathe in. We're at peace. Right? And now begins my haiku. The sitar's kind of lit. <laughs> nice, Mike. Shh, here we go. Exploring the mind. To find it, you must not seek. Tongue stays on repeat. Yo, are you following me, right? Exploring your own mind, right? To find it, you must not seek, right? That to find your mind, if you have that intent, it's gonna like derail what you're really looking for and that you stay with your mantra, right? I do transcendental meditation. And when you start to do meditation, sometimes um, your brain has all these different flashes or whatever, and you always return to the mantra, return to the mantra, right? So you keep your tongue on repeat. Let's run it again. Exploring the mind. To find it, you must not seek. Tongue stays on repeat. Let that sitar ride. Like, 
Just a few more seconds. Let's feel it together. Listen to the water. Yes. Yes. All right, all right, all right. So now we come out of that and just look at, man, people be hitting me up on the, on the gram, you know what I'm saying, on Twitter, on Twitter, um, at Hip Hop Chess on Twitter, at Real Hip Hop Chess on IG, and of course, at Bishop Chronicles. Be sure to follow and follow my boy, Mike Realm, at M-I-K-E-R-E-L-M. Do it. <clears throat> so what am I listening to? Yo, I'm listening to The Workout 2 by Stickman. It's on iTunes and it's on Amazon. It's the number one health and fitness album on Amazon right now. Or at least last time I checked it was. Killing it. It's really dope. It's an album of raps about working out, about health and fitness, about yoga. He's a straight pioneer of that. He's a pioneer of the whole discussion of veganism and introducing it into hip hop. Um, one of many pioneers, but absolutely, you know, him and, and, and uh, M1 from, from Dead Prez. But this album, The Workout 2, it's a clean album, meaning like you don't have to worry about a lot of cursing and stuff like that. But it's about fitness. It's about yoga. It's about eating well. Sometimes there's raps. Sometimes it's just a dope beat with a motivational chant. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a really good record. Really good record. Now, full disclosure, I'm on it. Oh, what? Yes, blood. Yes. So listen, there's a song called White Belt. Hella good, right? So the first time I went to London, um, I told you, if you listen to L- London episode one, I think, because um, this is the third, right? Because there was the London episode one, then two was with Stefan Zoll, right? And then this is three. Um, the first time I went out, me and Shafiq was going down Portobello Road. He was like, hey, Adisa, check it out. Oh, by the way, my, my English accents, Scottish accents, Irish accents, they all bleed over and suck. Anyway, we was, we was going down Portobello Road, which you must do if you're in London town. You know what I mean? And he was like, hey, Adisa, look, Dead Prez coming to town. I was like, word, word, Rick, word. Remember that? Anyway, that's old school. Dougie Fresh. Um, I was like, word? And me and Stick been cool, bro. Hella long, bro. You know what I'm saying? He need Stick, stop playing and come get on this show, dude. What are you doing? Um, but I was like, word? I was like, when? He's like, oh, they got a show on Thursday. I said, Thursday? Hold on. Let me check my phone. Hit him. I was like, yo, Stick, dog. Heard you're coming to town. I'm in London already, bro. What is up? Tickets, please. Can you lace the West Side OG? Man, do you know Stick, man, being the G of all Gs that he is, hit me right back and was like, I got you, bro. I'm not in town yet, but when I get there, it's good. I was like, yo, we going. He was like, stop playing. I was like, for real. He goes, really? We're going? I was like, yeah, we going, bro. And so me, Shafiq, and the squad went, and it was lit, right? But what happened in between that is that Stick sent me a message. He was like, yo, I'm working on a track called White Belt. Can you do me a favor and send me some audio drops of your advice for white belts? I was like, word? Yeah, I could do that. Right? So I sent it to him. And then I was like, what you think? And like, honestly, like, he probably don't remember. But his response was hella like, whatevs. He was like, yeah, I got him. But you know what I'm saying? I got to work with him. But we'll figure it out. And I was like, yikes. 
hashtag not going to make the cut. And then I followed up with him like two or three times after. And like, he didn't really mention the song. Cause I was like, you know, normally somebody would be like, yo, here goes the, the new version. Cause he had sent me the beat. I listened to the beat. It was fresh. And I was like, okay, I know what to say. So I said some things and I just really didn't hear. So when the album dropped, I saw it drop. I thought I wasn't on it. And I had actually sent him a message. It was like, yo, I know I didn't really hear back from you. You know what I'm saying? It's all good. You know, uh, I, I was just juiced to even get a chance to be on a record. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, appreciate you looking forward to hearing it. And um, literally the same day, a dude hit me and was like, yo, are you on that uh, Dead Press record? I mean, the new Stick Man? I was like, I don't know. What song? He was like, White Belt? I was like, I haven't heard it. Then I listened to it. Oh, you going to hear me at 150? And at three minutes, at 150 and at three minutes. So I'm just giving you that full disclosure. But the point is, go get the record, would you? The workout two. If you ain't got the workout one, you already slipping. I could get swole like took with it. Anyway, um, also, the real big album out the West right now. If you ain't up, you gotta go cop it. Is Kamaya got it made. I'm not talking about special ed. OG special ed, shout out, shout out, shout out. I'm talking about Got It Made, Kamaya. Now, I'm sure you might remember, if you really rock with real women rappers, like you remember the song she did with IG, F it up, oh, IG, I'm still talking about Instagram, with YG, F it up, hella fire. Oh my God, shout out to Ali, my boy in uh, Saudi, you know what I mean? Uh, but He's the one that really exposed me to her, and I loved it. So anyway, her album is fire. You need to cop it. She was just on the cover. Is it SF Weekly? Might be SF Weekly or The Guardian. I don't know. Look it up. Anyway, she's dope. She's my favorite woman rapper right now, period. On the album, Mood Swings, Bass Line and Hook, Triple Fire, Uh, Ten Toes High, about her personal struggles and how, like, she won't quit. It's a real inspirational song. Dope. But my jam is whatever, whenever. If you want to understand the Bay, if you want to really feel that West Side, grimy, Bay-ish, off-top, old-school, Oakland, yay area. Best woman in the Bay, hands down right now, probably in the nation. Also, oh, set it up with Trina Hella fresh. It's a crazy revenge rap about a dude who played him and they tearing his stuff up. Now, set it up is going to inspire some women to do some stupid things to dudes. And they're going to go to jail. Okay? But Kamaya is fire. Kamaya is fire. And uh, man, just really proud of all of the dope women rappers right now i didn't i didn't i didn't catch the show but i know that rhapsody and uh sarok had come through and my boy eric went and he said that show was just beast and i think he said that they had all women openers and that the entire show was lit and packed and i love to see that and hear that you know what i mean in hip-hop period what am I watching? Still not done watching the Malcolm X assassination documentary on Netflix. I'm probably going to go jump back into that today because it's kind of cold and wet out here on the West. Um, what am I reading? Yo, on the flight to New York uh, to go to Camtazo, uh, I met a really dope uh, psychologist who had happened to have a book out and gave me a book. The Method. That's what it's called. The Method. 
The Practical Path to Living Your Purpose and Potential by Dr. Tracy Thomas. The Method, The Practical Path to Living Your Purpose and Potential by Dr. Tracy Thomas. Dr. Tracy Thomas, hella cool, trying to get her on the show. Um, Great book, great book on how to kind of get your emotional self in order and do what you really want to do with your life. It's hella dope. Don't underestimate these kind of books because, you know, it's important for real, for real. But yeah, Dr. T is hella dope. We had a dope conversation on the flight, got a book. She was out there doing a press tour and I'm gonna try to get her on the show because mental health and emotional clarity is real important, real important. If you don't get none of that from these episodes of Bishop Chronicles and the stuff that I be trying to share with y'all, then I am failing you. Please forgive me. But let's talk about London now. Just really getting into London. Flew in on my 50th birthday. Um, spent 10 amazing days out there uh, with my real homies, Shafiq, Stefan, Northside Q, you know what I'm saying? Uh, my Pearling London squad, you know what I'm saying? Shout out to Simon, shout out to Nettie, shout out to Comb, you know what I'm saying? But really, when I got there, you know, because y'all know, I just psh, fresh off MRSA for the second time in five months, really trying to get this whole uh, immune system thing in order. And I was like, yo, you know, so who is the 50-year-old Adisa? And shout out to everybody who says I look hella young. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Front row. I see you. Um, but for real, I'm glad that I look young. I'm glad that I feel young. And I believe that I look and feel young, quite honestly, because I stopped drinking at a really young age. I stopped drinking at 17. I was never a smoker, really, of, of anything. And... Islam and jiu-jitsu. If I'm being really honest with you, Islam and jiu-jitsu, right? Because at least in America, especially when you're black, living an Islamic life is, is very clean, right? Like around the world, Muslims do tend to smoke cigarettes and cigars and all that. But in America, especially like if you, if you have influence from the nation of Islam and, and, and some of the 5%, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're going to be living clean deliberately, and if I'm being fully transparent with you, I stopped eating pork, just loving African culture. I was like, you know what? As an African-American, I can't eat pork. And I know that some Africans on the continent do eat pork. But as an African-American, we were given pork, and I've explained this before, um, because we had no, we were not respected by the people who had taken captive uh, uh, our ancestors, you understand? So they weren't just giving us pork, they were giving us the worst parts of the pork. And we turned it into what they now call Southern cuisine. But when I was young, I ate like a pound of bacon a day or a pound of like Jimmy Dean sausage, especially that silver one with the sage. <laughs> I ain't going front. But now, um, and I was drinking a lot. Imagine if I did that this long. I probably wouldn't have lived this long. Islam saved my life, okay? But what I'm saying is that coming into jujitsu, learning about the Gracie diet through Horion and Helio and Hiron, um, 
and learning about the power of juicing and stuff like that early, you know, uh, Half Gracie, you know, my first jujitsu teacher, you know, Charles, those guys were really, um, they weren't militant at all about the diet, but they were really clear about not eating crazy things. And that really helped me over the course of my life. So now I'm standing here, I touch down, I'm in London, chilling, and I'm like, okay, so who is the 50-year-old Adisa? Like, what does he eat? How does he dress? Does he meditate? Does he do yoga? Does he still do jujitsu? What does he study? What is he about? Where is he headed? And, you know, uh, I was really grateful because at Shafiq's place, he had five copies of Samurai Executioner for me. Five. It's a graphic novel. If you guys know Lone Wolf and Cub, if you ever listen to the beginning of Liquid Swords, right? That's Lone Wolf and Cub, right? Or 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 um, Shogun Assassin. The movie Shogun Assassin is based on a graphic novel called Lone Wolf and Cub. But what a lot of people don't know, and I didn't know until Shafiq, is that the prequel to Lone Wolf and Cub is Samurai Executioner. It's about the guy who had the job of Ito Igami before Ito Igami. Hella dope, hella deep, hella dark. And so I committed then that I was going to have an open head and an open heart. I was going to read more. So I just dove into Samurai Executioner. Do you know, y'all, I read each one of those books in five days. In five days, I read every one. Shafiq was like, you really finished all of them? I was like, for sure. Um, and so those books were really good. Uh, it was really wet and stormy. So I spent a lot of time indoors and I just read and I didn't work out by design. I was like, don't work out because I was just coming up off the MRSA. I didn't want to mess with my immune system. I just did yoga. I meditated and I ate hella good. Oh, the gummy bear game out there is so good. Anyone who knows me knows I'm addicted to gummy bears. I love gummy bears. And they got halal gummy bears all over there. Hella flavors and shapes and themes that they don't even have out here in the States, man. So I was tearing those down like a savage. All right? And I was not intermittent fasting. <laughs> I was not. Um, but I did eat very healthy. I just had gummy bears a lot every day. Um... And so, you know, that was that was really a big deal. You know, that was the beginning, I think, of me really kind of focusing on my health in a new way. And and I said to myself, you know what? You're going to start saying yes more if you feel something is right, even if it doesn't look ideal totally. You're going to start saying yes more. And when you have things you want to do, especially ideas and business and stuff like that, you're going to you're going to you're going to throw them out. You're going to put them into action more. So, you know, I, um, man, Nando's, this chicken spot, man, let me tell you, South London is dope because there's a lot of Muslims out there. And that means that virtually every restaurant is halal. They got burgers, them things halal. They got grilled chickens, them things is halal. You see KFC out there, them things is halal. Loving it. Hella good food in London, man. I cannot front nando's n-a-n-d-o-s what come on man hella good you don't even understand the sauces man spiciness and this is a big leap forward for london because i went to london in 89 food was trash (laughs) 
for real. When 89 was the number, it was a horrible summer. <laughs> Shout out to Public Enemy. Uh, really, uh, the food there was was dry. But now because, you know, you got all this intercultural activity in the city, uh, the food is ridiculous. Um Went to Eats, E-A-T-S of Eden. That was my first meal. Um, hit it up. Uh, shout out to Northside Q. Uh, went and got amazing meal at Eats of Eden. Went to Nando's with Steph and Shafiq and some friends. And it was so good. Never had a bad meal the whole time out there. But Eats of Eden has great vegan food. And if I could eat like that, or like the Camp Tazo vegan food, I would already be straight up vegan. And I ain't even playing. I just don't have it like that yet. Yet. Soon, that's going to be the vibe. So then went back over to Portobello Road one of them days and marinated with um, Simon, Calm, and Nettie over at Pearling London. Had a dope lunch with them. Kind of walked around these canals out by, by, their, uh, by their office. And had a good time, you know what I'm saying? Um, I know I keep talking about Perling, but it's really dope. And when you go to the, when you look at their IG, you'll see why I'm shouting them out. What they got is amazing. Um, and then later in that week, you know what? I went and saw Hamilton. I saw Hamilton. Now, it's important that I explain how much I hated Hamilton uh, from the beginning. Um, I hated the CDs. I hated the idea that Lin-Manuel Miranda had did a whole rap about um Alexander Hamilton, I thought it was a hijacking, right, of of hip hop, and I didn't respect it on a lot of levels. My good friend, who is a VC guy, right, he, um, David, David was like, I love Hamilton, and he's not the biggest hip hop head, okay? He's just not, which is no big deal. I, I, I love all kinds of music, you know what I mean? But I didn't like how, what I call the Hamiltonization the Hamiltonization of hip hop was popping off because of this of this um, play because it's musical. And in general, I at that point I wasn't really going to plays, and I absolutely hated pretty much all musicals with the exception of Greece. Loved Greece. Um, the Hamiltonization of hip hop is when a thing in hip-hop becomes so big that its founders, primarily black men and women and Latino men and women, get pushed out, that it transcends. Now, the beauty of the transcendence is that I believe all music is for all people, especially hip-hop. If you look at all the different local scenes of hip-hop, wherever you are in the world, wherever you go, there's a local hip-hop scene. And that is what I love in terms of the transcendence. But one of the problems in what the Hamiltonization of hip hop is, is when you start getting upper class and upper middle class white people who start liking hip hop, but only in this square box that they like, right? And so there weren't a lot of black people when I went to go see this Hamilton show. And I'll come back to that. But what I really wanted to say was that I didn't, you know, when I first heard the raps, I didn't really like them. And I didn't get the, why would this be important? And how is this important? I didn't get it in the beginning. And then the Hamilton mixtape came out. 
Go on YouTube, look up the Hamilton mixtape. They got Common, Busta Rhymes, uh, 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 Snow the Product, uh, Kanan, uh, The Roots. I mean, it's a really dope, dope mixtape where rappers are rapping based on the themes in Hamilton reinterpreted. And and once I started listening to that, it made me go back and listen to the original with more intent and purpose and understanding. And so then I started feeling it more. But going to see the show was super powerful. It was super powerful. I got to tell you that, man, I was blown away. Uh, All of the actors were amazing and none of them were the original cast. And shout out to David Diggs because he's from the Bay, Oakland. Ooh, ooh, West Side. Um, everybody who played was amazing. And I was worried about that, right? I was like, like you know, if it ain't David Diggs, if it ain't Lin-Manuel, can these people carry it, especially out here in London? And the answer is yes. I think we saw it at the Victoria Palace Theater. I think that's what it's called. Oh, and then we went to Wagamama's. Oh my God, if you, Asian Fusion, Wagamama's, the best meals. Some of my best meals in London are at Wagamama's. They need to bring them joints out here to the West immediately. But back to Hamilton. Great show, great cast. Um, I understood the story better because as much as I listened to the album, I wasn't really getting it. Uh, I understood it and I had a new absolute and total respect for Lin-Manuel Miranda. I had a total new respect for Alexander Hamilton. I had a new total respect for why hip-hop is so powerful and how uh, we can reinterpret anything through hip-hop and make history valuable, make the telling of stories valuable, you know? And I realized that despite the Hamiltonization of hip-hop, which I think is still in play, and I got to say, that's not Lin-Manuel Miranda's fault, and the Hamiltonization of hip-hop and what I call it, that's not the first time. You know the first time I saw it and really felt it was when 8 Mile came out. And it was the woman who was the main character. I'm blanking on her name and she passed away, man. Please forgive me. Um, in, In 8 Mile... She was giving an interview on television. I don't remember if it was MTV or Good Morning America, something. And she said, well, you know, I'm not really sure that it's fair that we should say that, you know, uh, this is even a hip-hop movie, right? Like, it's bigger than hip-hop and blah, blah. And that's the beginning of the pushing out of the black man. And Eminem was at the front tier and stage and phase of that, right? And he didn't intend that because he was a dope and is a dope, one of the best MCs in the game, period, ever. But this is what happens... When stuff becomes intercultural and it blows up and the first thing people want to do is push out the blacks and Latinos. It's bigger than hip hop, but they don't mean it like dead prez. They mean push aside. We appreciate your rap and we've got it from here. And so I saw a lot of people in the audience, which didn't have a lot of black people in it. But maybe some days it did. Right. And they wouldn't consider themselves hip-hop fans. They might be afraid of a black man like me coming up in the building anyway. And this could be not just in London, but anywhere. And for the record, I didn't experience any overt racism or racist vibes while out in London. This is my second, third time out, really. But I didn't experience it. 
And it's really palpable in America. And so, you know, don't be surprised if the OG ends up in London one of these days. That's all I'm saying. Hey. But what I'm saying is these upper crust white people who are in attendance, you know, they'll say that they love Hamilton, but they don't they don't respect YG. You know what I'm saying? They'll they'll say that they love Hamilton, but they will dishonor Kamaya or Stickman or Public Enemy, right? And that's what happens when the Hamiltonization of hip hop becomes made so manifest. I hate it when hip hop transcends things so much that the founders of the culture begin to become erased and and devalued. And so. Um, I want to say, Lin-Manuel Miranda, bro, great effing job. That was so well written. It was so genius. And this is what happened when hip-hop ed, right, when you have a radical form of art, and hip-hop is the most radical form of art ever created in the world. That's right. That's what I said. Um, And I meant it. When you have it... And you see hip hop and rap specifically become so radical that it outdoes what its intention was to be. Right? Who would have thought that the most neglected demographic in American education would be the ones to redeem the entire system through their art? I'm talking about hip hop. That's what we did. And when I see blacks and Latinos take things like Hamilton to these heights, I am inspired. The hip hop purist in me was the one that resented the Hamiltonization of hip hop. But the educator in me, the lover of philosophy in me, the lover of history in me completely loves Hamilton. And I hope that you get a chance to go see it in the theater. And I heard they're making a movie about it. And... I hope more people go, man. I hope more people go. It is beautiful. If Lin-Manuel Miranda never does another play in his life, he changed and altered the history of hip-hop, of teaching history, and art, period. You know, because like you can't just be someone who loves rap to do Hamilton. And you can't just be someone that loves theater to do Hamilton. You can't just be someone that loves musicals. He, he he could see the value and he knew the value in all of it. And a lot of the rap schemes, the rhyme schemes, they follow what I'll call like an Eminem-ish, you know, kind of flow. Uh, but he knew his style. He knew how to make it just musical enough. He knew how to make it just flowy enough. He knew how to tell the story so good. Man, impressive. So long story short, I love London, y'all. Big time. And now we're going to talk about... What is going on with Public Enemy? Flavor Flav is out. That's like Hall without Oates. That's like Abbott without Costello. That's like Seinfeld without Kramer. So is Flav out? Did Bernie Sanders Yoko Ono P.E., bruh? Yoko? Well, the truth is P.E. is still alive, but it's just different. It's very different. And we have to take a minute and look at the evolution of a rapper, of a group, and of an art. And it's important for me to say that I love Chuck D personally. That I value Chuck 
personally. You know, when we did Respect Hip Hop Style and Wisdom at the Oakland Museum of California, Chuck's art was on the wall. I couldn't believe it because I met Chuck D at 18 years old. I might have been 19, but I think I was 18 years old at San Francisco State when P.E. was brand new, killing it. He did a talk there and I met him. That's the same day that I met James Bernard from The Source when it was brand new. Had I not met Chuck and James that day, I don't even know where my life would have went. But they both changed my life, you know? I was the writer for Chuck D's DVD, Hip Hop Hall of Fame. You know, I was the script writer. If you look that DVD up, you'll you'll see you'll see you'll see my name in the mix. I've been to lots of Public Enemy shows. If you go online, you look up a thing. Um, I think the article is called "When Thugs Cry," and it's about Public Enemy performing at the. Uh, Henry J. Kaiser during the Oakland firestorm when almost all of Oakland burned down. And I was at that show. It was them and Anthrax and Tupac had been beaten by the police. And I went backstage. I was hanging with Chuck and Harry Allen. Harry Allen, I gotta ask him. And I write about that whole experience. And, and, and it's about me seeing Tupac cry because of something that Chuck did. And, you know... That whole situation still, um, like I'm, I'm about to start crying right now. The bottom line is that on top of that, when Biggie got killed, Sway held a very dope talk on KML Radio. And that was to help promote the healing. And Sway could have called anybody, but he called me. Sway could have called anybody, but he called me. Chuck D was on the line. I want to say KRS-One was on that show too on the phone, but I think that he did a rap, a peace rap that Cameo profiled, showcasing nonviolence. It was a it was a hard time, man. And I remember talking to Chuck off air and and he was like, Adis, what's going on, man? Like, why did this happen? And I remember saying like Chuck, man, I know that nobody knows who killed Pac right now, technically, but I guarantee you, Tupac got killed by dudes from the West. And if we'll kill our own, we'll absolutely kill Big. He shouldn't have been here. He should have never come out West when he did. He should have never made that song going back to Cali. He should have never made it. It was disrespectful. Even if he made it, he shouldn't have dropped it. People ain't healed out here, Chuck. And that's why he died, bro. That's why he died, you know? And so I have, you know, I've been cool with Griff for years. I love Griff. You know, he's, 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 he's an incredibly smart, original thinker. I know Flav the least, but I've seen Flav. A few, if you, there's a picture of me and Public Enemy from a few years back and... In the middle of doing a music video, they took a break, and I saw Flavor playing classical piano for about 10 minutes. That's how he relaxed. And the whole room was like jaw-dropping. But Chuck's jaw wasn't dropped because he knew how brilliant Flavor Flav has always been. 
you know? And it's like, this is another part about, I'm not going to tangent too hard, but how people have always tried to say that hip hop is not um, musical enough, that hip hop is has no proper melodies and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, I'm watching Flavor Flav, the people that people like to laugh at, the dude who people like to laugh at and make a joke, play classical piano on a break, off the dome, not even reading music. And, and these are the kinds of geniuses that have been I- I- ignored and, and, and not, not properly championed. Okay, so like I get emotional when Public Enemy dies out. I get emotional when a group like this ends their career because I wouldn't be Muslim. I wouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, no matter what the name, we're all the same pieces in one big chess game. Ain't no hip hop chess federation without Public Enemy at all. I'm telling you. I don't become Muslim if it's not for specifically songs like Bring the Noise because that's what made me go back and listen to Malcolm X records and that's what made me listen about Islam and that changed the path of my life so I could live. I owe my faith conversion to Chuck D. So I can't, this can't be a light issue for me as a human being. But however I may feel, there are other realities, you know? Like, I know it was controversial when when Chuck kicked Griff out the group way back. I know that, you know, and and it's my understanding, and this isn't anything I was ever told by Chuck, but I it's my understanding that the definition of public enemy legally has had different definitions over the years. Like, you know. Legally, public enemy was like maybe like Chuck D and the S ones, but then like Flav and Griff were not public enemy. Like, there's different. You know, I don't know them specifically, but I know that they've had different legal definitions of what constitutes public enemy. And that's why when you look around and you see public enemy radio, you see PE 2.0, you see these things. It's because the group is evolving, right? People kind of ha- come and go. And you remember when Chuck, w- I mean, when Flav was doing the flavor of love, right? The flavor of love when he was going out with uh, Bridget Nielsen, who was in that uh, Rocky, was it three or four, you know? And that's when the reality hip hop TV stuff started, right? Come on, man, like. Flavor Flav started that. Uh, he he was one of the founders of that whole vein of uh, of of hip hop reality TV. You wouldn't have love and hip hop without Flav and Bridget Nielsen. But that was a weird time for Public Enemy, right? Because how was this most pro black hip hop group? And now here's this dude running around with Bridget Nielsen, way past her prime. But that don't matter. Flav was past his prime. But that don't matter. You know, like. Stuff is hard. It's hard to keep a group together, man. It's hard to keep a group together. And to be honest, I'm not even sure that this Bernie Sanders thing was really the end of Public Enemy. Depending on how you look at P.E. and depending on how you define P.E., Public Enemy 
stopped being public enemy a long time ago. But Chuck D, he never stopped fighting for the people lyrically. He never stopped doing art to free minds. He never stopped touring the world trying to get black people to see themselves better, trying to get black men to love themselves more, trying to get black women to love themselves and their history and manifest their collective and individual potential more. And like, you can't put a dollar amount on that kind of work because he could have stopped years ago. Depending on what was going on in his world, he probably wondering if he should have stopped years ago but this is hip-hop and you can't stop won't stop you understand you can't judge chuck for whatever happened you can't judge flav you know and you can't even have the proper conversation around flavor flav without talking about hardcore addiction issues and we don't even know what kind of impact that had on p.e we don't know how many times he looked out for Flav in ways that we know and ways that we don't. We don't know how many times Flav did stuff for Chuck. We don't know. That's family business at the end of the day. We judge it for personal reasons. We want to go see him one more time. We, we want to hold on to the nostalgia of when 89 was the number. We want to hold on to the nostalgia. I remember seeing Chuck D at the Shoreline Amphitheater, man. Kid and Play opened. Queen Latifah opened. Digital Underground opened. That's the day that I met Money B through his father, Bobby McCall, who was my manager at that time. Man, like... He came out to Terror Dome and the wind was blowing and he had on this Raiders starter and he was rapping and the wind was blowing and Welcome to the Terror Dome at that time was such a high, hardcore political song and it just looked like a divinely rebellious musical moment. And you can't, those things don't even happen anymore in hip hop. And so I told you I'd be reading Stoic Philosophy and... You've heard the last few shows. I've had to deal with some, some deaths of people I love in the last year. Three people that I love have died of cancer. And if it wasn't for Stoic philosophy, I'd be doing way worse than I am right now. But there was a guy named Epictetus, and he was writing about death. And he said, I must die, must I? If at once, then I am dying. If soon, I will die now as it is time for dinner. And if it's afterwards, when the time comes, I will die. That might sound hella basic or whatever-ish, but really what he's saying is that death is coming. If you're not dead yet, enjoy your day and your time. And if you're gonna die, relax and let it come to you. And in the book, How to Be a Stoic by Massimo Pigliucci, which I have often and will always say people should get, he was writing about Seneca, another philosopher. And people have these controversies about who Seneca was and did he die a noble death or a proper stoic death or did he not? 
And what he wrote, Massimo wrote, was about Seneca. And I am saying this about Chuck and Flav and Griff and Terminator X and all the S1s and anybody who ever contributed, DJ Lord, anybody who ever contributed to Public Enemy, DJ Johnny Juice, you know what I mean? Bomb Squad, is that ultimately when you look at Flav, you look at Griff, you look at Chuck, Terminator X, you can say that. He was a flawed man, as he himself repeatedly wrote, who tried his best under nearly impossible circumstances. They did their best, man. They gave their best. We can judge nothing. We can judge nothing, and to do so would be supremely selfish. You understand the odds of a group like Public Enemy existing in a country as systematically racist, as, as, like, as bigoted as, as this country, as hateful as this country has always been towards black men? And don't talk to me about slavery being over. The systematic destruction of black people has been on the agenda of this country since its birth. It's in the constitution, three-fifths of a man, look it up. And so public enemy exists, but not just that. Public enemy persists and not just that. They go platinum, then they don't quit. Then they have fragmented moments, then they come back together. They define eras for people. They give people jobs. So many journalists came through because of what Public Enemy wrote. So many people in hip-hop ed were born through Chuck D's lyrics and the freeing of minds that him and Flavor Flav did. What him and Griff did. What the S1s represented. Security of the first world. People still don't even understand what that means. What they inspired in hip-hop and martial arts, what they inspired in getting black men to read and women to read and children to read and love their culture and history. Change their names, change their religion, change their perspective, change their ideas of who they could be and what they could contribute to this country and this earth in this moment, man. I can't judge this, man. All you can do is be grateful that Public Enemy existed. And if you cared about them... If you are grateful, then you need to grab their favorite song. You need to grab their favorite record. You need to play it. You need to embody that spirit and just say, thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Griff. Thank you, Flavor, man. Thank you, S1s and Terminator X. Thank you to everybody who continues to uphold the PE banner like Jahi. And on that note, we going to shift it. Speaking of hip-hop and martial arts, I found an interview that I did with Eddie Bravo. Eddie Bravo, if you don't know him, is the founder of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. It is a no-gi uh, style of grappling. Eddie Bravo is the coach of Tony Ferguson, who is going to fight my dude, Habib, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the. You know what I'm saying? It's going down. Listen, Eddie, I love you. I just salute for everything you've given to martial arts. I said back in the day, in the future, Eddie Bravo will be remembered as the American Halio. 
the American Helio Gracie. Because just like Helio Gracie took Japanese jiu-jitsu and innovated it to make it Gracie jiu-jitsu, which became known as Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Eddie Bravo took what Helio gave and he turned it into something new. He turned it into something authentically American because of how the use of wrestling, um, freestyle, and Greco specifically were impacting the vision that American grapplers had. And he needs to be saluted. Anyway, Eddie Bravo uh, made a great name for himself when he tapped out Hoyler Gracie at the Abu Dhabi Combat Club. See what I'm talking about? Martial arts and culture. The Abu Dhabi Combat Club. Look it up. ADCC. Okay. Shout out to Kid Pelegro. Shout out to Sheikh Tanun and everybody. Shout out to Guy Nevins and everybody making it happen over at Abu Dhabi. Global jiu-jitsu network there. Uh, promoting the grappling arts in the gi and outside of the gi. My point is, Eddie Bravo has given a lot. He fought Hoyler a long time ago. He triangle choked him. There was a lot of controversy. They had a rematch at Metamorris that was thrown by, by uh, Halleck Gracie. Shout out to Halleck and everybody at Metamorris. Um, it was a submission-only tournament. Uh, I think, did they have? Yeah, it went to like a stalemate essentially in the second one. But, but, but Eddie was positionally dominant in my opinion. And I did this interview after taking my son over to headquarters and I was introduced to Eddie through Denny Procopo. Shout out to Denny 300, you know what I mean, for connecting me to Eddie um, and even Joe Rogan back in the day. Long story short, this is that interview. I lost it. And it was funny because Northside Q was like, how did you lose an interview with Eddie Bravo? I don't believe you lost the interview. And I really did because I did it and me and Mike were going to run it. Back then, but then like, I was like, oh, maybe I should just do more hip hop and oh, maybe I should just transcribe it and do it that way. Plus there was so much beef between Brazilians and the 10th planet systems and schools. I didn't want to be, I've never wanted to be someone who contributes to beef in hip hop or martial arts or anything else. And sometimes out of my desire to like not kick up dust I don't ask questions that I could, and I don't publish interviews that I could or should maybe. And I literally lost this. I found it like three weeks ago, and now you get to listen to it. Eddie Bravo, 10th Planet, influencing MMA, influencing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and American Jiu-Jitsu around the world. This is that conversation, and... You know, shout out to Raka because I hooked him up with Raka. Eddie Bravo and Raka made a song called Jiu-Jitsu. And that was my idea because the Brazilian is a Gracie family and, and Eddie uh, and the 10th Planet crew. There was always all this like frustration between them. And I said, music could help, man. So I called Raka. I said, you should do a song with Eddie. I think it could help. And I think it did. You should go look it up and listen. But here goes that interview. Much love and peace to everybody. Check this out. Enjoy it. And um, let's all keep rising. I know it's crazy. Corona's everywhere. Keep yourself safe. Use defense soap. Get a mask. Stay out of big public and public closed spaces. 
But if you're on a train or a bus, wear a mask. Use defense soap on your face and hands at least when you come home after being in big public areas, you know? And uh, let's try to have compassion for each other out here because life is crazy. Enjoy this video. Stay blessed. Bishop Chronicles, Farside TV, worldwide, west side, forever. Here goes that interview. Chronicles. Yo, my check. It's Adisa Bandrelko, chilling with the one and only Eddie Bravo only a week or two after his... Uh very impressive and dominant showing at Metamoris. Uh, welcome to the Bishop Chronicles. Thank you for having me. So, all right, I'm going to jump into it, man. Um, how do you feel? Congratulations on a very impressive performance. I think you, uh, to quote an old uh, Muhammad Ali time, you shook up the world a little bit on this one. How do you feel? You know, a couple days before the event, I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if... Because it's going to end up being Monday and it's going to be end up being Tuesday really quick. This weekend's going to fly by just like all the weekends. Like, wouldn't it be great if I just beat them? Uh, but not thinking that I actually would. Thinking that wouldn't it be great if I just... How awesome would that be? Fuck. But I never went in thinking that I was going to beat him 100%. I was thinking that... Uh, Man, there's a chance that he could. He he might be able to just jump on my legs. I make a mistake, and boom, he taps me out, mm -hmm. and it's a complete disaster. Mm -hmm. You know, but you know what? It's next week. The weekend's over, and it did happen. Mm -hmm. It's like a dream come true, man. Mm -hmm. And although technically it was a draw, the world knows I beat him. So I mean, it's life couldn't be better. It's better than it, that it was a draw, because if it was a clear tap, nobody would be talking about it anymore. But since it was a draw. People are just arguing about it, and and the Gracie Mag is is uh, uh, you know spewing their propaganda about it. It's a it's a beautiful thing how you know they're exposing themselves to their the bias that has been out of control since the dawn of time, and now it's just super clear that man like Gracie Mag, you can't trust what they what, what's in that magazine. So when you, when you say that. Well, um, they did it in, in Abu Dhabi 2003. The Abu Dhabi issue mm -hmm. of Gracie Mag didn't even have a picture of me. That was the greatest upset in jiu-jitsu history. And they didn't even have a picture of me in there. And they had these triangles. They, they, the night of the show, afterwards, the, uh, the editor from Gracie Mag is telling me how he's going to, it's going to be the cover. See this picture here with the Hoyler? It's going to be the cover. He's telling me all this stuff. And then I get back to L.A. and I'm telling John Jock that, man, I'm going to be on the cover of Gracie Mag. And John Jock's wife is sitting there going, what are you talking about? And I thought she was just raining on my parade. Like kind of like. I go like John Jock. I didn't. I wasn't rude or anything, but I'm thinking, you don't know, no, this guy, the editor told me I was going to be on the cover. And she said, you're not going to be on no cover. And I thought, man, I was thinking, John Jock, come on. You know, but she was right. Not only was I not on the cover, I was nowhere in the magazine. And the picture that they had of Hoyler was him, like, sweeping Soka in, like, the third place match. So it was incredible. So I'm not shocked. But since then, I talked to the editor of Gracie Mag. I talked to him a year ago about that situation. And he had all these excuses. Left and right. Excuse here. Like, oh, no, it wasn't like that. Oh, no, it wasn't like that. We didn't. Thank you. It was, um... What, ha what had happened was, is we never got the picture. They had all these excuses of why it didn't happen. Mm. Like, he told me it was going to happen, and it didn't happen. 
and this was like a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran into him at the Lloyd Irvin seminar, the last one he had. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, so Pam, here we are. Metamorphs three. They do the same thing. Every picture they use for their photo gallery is a picture of Hoyler on uh, on top of me. They never mm-hmm. used any of any him of caught in an electric, electric chair, chair, him and him me that? passing his guard, mm-hmm. him in the vaporizer. You would think they would use one picture mm-hmm. of uh, the electric chair or the vaporizer, but none. And that's just the way they are. It's just it's like Fox News. It's like mist. You know what I mean? Uh, like my match with with Hoyler Gracie is like the video of Tower Seven. You know and. Gracie Mag is like NIST spewing uh, just false propaganda. So, so let me ask you, man. I, I, it's weird, man, because like, you know, um, I know my jiu-jitsu history pretty good, you know, and I remember all of the writings and, and those, you know, a lot of the stuff from the early times of the Luta Livre guys versus the Gracie dudes back in Brazil. You know what I mean? There was yeah. a lot of dojo storming. There was a lot of... A lot of people got hurt. You know what I'm saying? It was yeah. kind of ugly, actually. It's like a, a non-glorious time for jiu-jitsu, actually, in the grappling arts. Now, I'm going to tell you from a personal level, I was actually kind of glad that neither one of you tapped the other because I felt like it would just be fire again. Like, we'd be headed towards those times again. And and even with the draw, the the vibes are out there, it feels like. I mean, I could be reading it wrong, okay? I could be reading it wrong. But, like... How are you reading it? I'm reading it like, if you would have subbed him clearly. Yeah. Right? Like, maybe there'd be dojo storming. Remember that era? Remember when Caps would come into your dojo? Like, when I was at house, people would do that. Like, judo guys would come into house. You know what I'm saying? So for my safety, you're glad. Not for your safety. This isn't about safety. This is not about safety. I guarantee you. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm talking about the culture of jujitsu. I don't like that. Like, I love the competitive thing. Who is more technical? All of that needs to be in jujitsu always. Always. What I'm saying is, you're at the top of this. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're thought leaders, right? You, Halleck, uh, uh, a lot of other folks, Danny, Gumby, Scotty. There's a lot of people at the top of this culture. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And there are a lot of people at the bottom. You understand? I don't. I worry about the people at the bottom not understanding it with Eddie Bravo's vision, not understanding it with Scotty and Gumby's vision, not understanding it with Jean Jacques' vision, and letting a match between true warriors and champions spin out into some bullshit. Yeah, that bothers me. The idea of that bothers me. It's, I could be over. Kind of happening, anyways. You yeah. think? Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Are you paying attention to what's going I, on? I, I'm, uh, it's uh, ridiculous. Uh, you know, I try to stay away from it only because you don't want to get stuck to the bullshit. But if you were a betting man, are you in next morning, Morris? No. 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 I'm not thinking about any kind of competition for a little while. I, as soon as there's a, an opponent named or something like that, mm-hmm. then I got to stress out about it. Mm-hmm. And then I got to start getting in training mode. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking about it every day. I want. I was just in that mode since last June. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about that shit for a while. I'm going to come back. I'm going to compete again. But I don't want to think about it for a while. I want to enjoy this. Uh, there were times where I barely got to see my kid. I, I, want, I want to spend time with my son, my family. love eating whatever I want to eat, you know? So, not for a while. How, how, 
I'm what motivated enjoy this. you? Let's talk about the psychology of this, man. I mean, you know, Denny and I go way back, man. I've been knowing Denny since he was 12. You know what I'm saying? 13, for real, for real. Yeah. Me and Denny, like, literally lived down the street from me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Talk to me about the psychology of preparing for this match. Like, how did you train yourself mentally? Outside, I know you trained a lot with John Jock, and I'm sure that was a huge part of it. Let's talk about John Jock, and let's talk about beyond John Jock. What were you doing to tighten your brain around this 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 match well your, your number one weapon is confidence and what gives you uh, the most confidence defense that's what Jean-Jacques always said so I thought and I'm I'm I've always admitted I'm not a defensive wizard I am in some cases when it comes to flexibility I use my flexibility in ways to get out of stuff uh, but in just non-flexible escapes and defense I'm not that's not my forte I I'm, I spend most of my time trying to perfect ways to finish the fight and your defense is is gets uh, forgotten in that in that quest so that, that's the way I've always been I've been super heavy on offense not so heavy on defense and all my students we spend you know we spend most of our time working on tightening up the the, the end game mm -hmm. now <clears throat> and that going into competition that can uh, suck a little of your confidence out knowing that if you're caught in a bad spot knowing that that's not your forte so I decided to make it my forte mm -hmm. so I've been obsessed with defense uh, and um, Jean-Jacques is about as good as you can get when it comes to defense so we just I just had a list and we went through everything how to get out of everything the best ways to get out of everything and I also looked at videos from um, and compared different because everyone's got their own ways of how to get out of stuff. Every, I mean, defense is, I learned, and I didn't really know this. I've never really thought about it, but defense is, uh, there's, it's like a hundred times more complicated than offense. It really is. Because there's so many ways to get out of one submission. It's like there's a certain way to build a skyscraper. There ain't like a bunch of different ways. You got to get the beams right. And you know what I mean? That's like a submission. But there's an infinite number of ways to knock it down and destroy it. You can send missiles into it. You can send planes into it. You can blow it up with a controlled demo. You can do all sorts of shit to it. You know what I mean? You could plant bombs bombs in a van, right. you know, and everyone's got their own way of how to stop the construction of the submission. Mm -hmm. So it's when you, then it becomes really fascinating, like, damn, there's so many little secrets and everyone's got their own little secrets. And, and their own little method and then, entries. Yeah, and then you, and then combining them and then putting them into a system where it's easy to teach and easy to pass the knowledge on to my students. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm having a, an awesome time doing it. It's like a rebirth for me. So yeah. I'm taking the best from Marcelo, the best from Jean-Jacques. Most of it's Jean-Jacques stuff, mm -hmm. but I'm taking some Marcelo stuff. His defense is stellar. Ridiculous. And uh, Alan Belcher's immunity defense, mm -hmm. I mean, he proved in front of the world that he can stop the most vicious leg lock master of all time in MMA. He stopped mm -hmm. Usamar Pajaras. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you, you got to break down what he was thinking and what he was doing and what he did to prepare. I wanted some of that. Mm -hmm. So um, I studied his his DVD mm -hmm. and um, and I got help from 
different guys, man. Like a catch wrestler named Max Bishop. He helped me uh, a lot, would send me videos on how to get out. Everyone had their own way of getting out of leg locks. It's incredible. No one gets out of leg locks the same way. Everybody, everyone's different. They're spinning it out. Everyone. It's so crazy. So there's so much to learn. Defense is... You can defense. You could have an encyclopedia just on defense. So I didn't realize that so before. You were just I never thought about on it. the offense, so that you didn't have to worry about as much about the method of exit. My style was the 2000 Rams. Your offense is your defense. You score so many points that you keep that the defense. Yeah, you, you keep your defense on the sideline because mm-hmm. your offense is just. Him. That was my philosophy, and um, and that's how I've taught my. You know. I've, Right when I first opened my first school, I remember doing interviews in Australia and talked about, and like the headlines were, my style's uh, uh, heavily based on offense. We, we spend most of our time trying to finish fights, and we're heavy on uh, guard work, half guard. All the problems that I saw with jiu-jitsu and MMA, that's what we were... We were focused on. The problem wasn't that jujitsu guys were getting choked out all the time. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the problem. So keep, uh, Gracie Baja, keep doing what you're doing, Alliance, doing a great job. That's not the problem in MMA. Jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. guys aren't getting choked out. If they were, if, if jujitsu guys were just getting choked out by wrestlers all the time, I would have been a heavily defensive school. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the problem. The problem was uh, jujitsu guys on their back in MMA. Taking beatings. N- taking beatings, no sweeps, it just looks like garbage, mm-hmm. and I was, and it. I had to do something about it. So, I was. I just basically told the jiu-jitsu community, "I'm going to handle that for a few years. We got to fix that because that's right, the problem. Right, Emergency right. style. Right. We're not going to work on wrestling. Uh, wrestling was a problem too, but I thought, you know, if we start working on wrestling. You're still not going to take these guys that are wrestled. Uh, years, yeah, like yeah. That's like a. We can't do that. That's a. That's a long-term project. That you could you could ha- I could get my guys and get them heavy wrestling every day for five years and they're still going to be in matches where they can't take dudes down. So I thought, no, mm-hmm. we're, the, the, we need to uh, do we got to give them the wrestling. Let's just work on being offensive with uh, our guard. And that's what you saw in Metamorphs. All that stuff. That's old school. That was day one. Let's have it on highly offensive half guard, highly offensive rubber guard, which I didn't really get to play. But let me ask you real quick about the rubber guard. Because um, obviously I'm not like a 10th Planet dude, but I've been reading your books for a long time. I'm close with Denny. I watched, you know what I'm saying? A lot of growth with yourself, with Denny, with the, with the system. All right. Now I'm speaking to you as an old dude. All right. I'm 44. Okay. I know you're, okay. you know. Here's the deal. I feel like as a guy who already fucked his MCL up, okay, that the rubber guard is dangerous for a guy like me. I love all your side control shit. I'm loving the mount, mm-hmm. all right? I think the Swister's badass, okay? Mm-hmm. But I'm feeling like as I age, okay? I'm just talking about I want to do jujitsu as long as possible, as I'm sure everybody does. As I age, can I really afford to be trying to do a Gogo Plata on anybody? Not anybody. You know what I'm saying? Not I would just say, my. I would you know say what I'm saying? Like I, I, but I worry about the longevity of the then limbs. Then don't play it. The like times. We, we, play, we play a lot of guards. I feel we you. I'm everything. just talking about the rubber guards specifically. Like if the, your knees are fucked up and you don't have the discipline to work on your flexibility, then it's not for you. Then you mm-hmm. play, uh, half, play. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Play half guard. You don't. You don't have to play rubber guard. A lot of my guys don't play rubber guard just because they simply just don't have 
the work ethic to get their flexibility together. That's all. It's a matter of work ethic. It has nothing to do with what you're born. Or if you got like screws in your right, legs right, right, or on right. your hips, then maybe. But I mean, it's just like rubber guard flexibility is just yoga flexibility. When when you do yoga, eventually one of the you get into all these yoga positions and you get your better lotus, at. Your... Yeah, if you can get into lotus, you can play rubber guard. So right. it's really of. You know, it's like not working on your flexibility. Not working on your flexibility. It's like um, in ju- in jujitsu, to play rubber guard is like not working on your flexibility. And you're in yoga class to get to lotus. Right, you got to do it. Eventually, you got to get into lotus. It's a basic position that you eventually work. You get into all these. There's all these weird positions, handstands and mm-hmm. stuff. You work on these positions, and lotus is just. That's one of the most basic, it's like the tree trunk of yoga. And eventually everyone gets into it. If you can get into Lotus, you can play rubber guard. That's all, it's simple. Mm-hmm. It's not like special new stretches mm-hmm. that were born out of the rubber guard. It's not, it's just Lotus. It's, that's all it is. So at the end of the day... Well, you don't have to play rubber guard. No, I feel you. I'm just talking. I'm just talking. A lot of guys don't play rubber guard. You know what I'm saying? I'm just talking to A lot of guys don't. Like Dempsey never plays rubber guard. What, what, um... Where do you want to go from here? Because I can imagine. I got a. I got a. I got a text from a guy. He hit me on Facebook from Saudi Arabia. He said, "Man, that tenth planet shit really works." He was like, "That was impressive, right?" And I, we started talking. I started thinking like, the day after, were there a lot of new dudes signing up? With the, have you seen a measurably a measurable? Like I was like, I wonder what his YouTube hits are like right now. I wonder. I wonder like, you know um, what I mean? It's and I'm sure not, we can't quantify it right now. Just... It's not like an extraordinary boost, but that was a little boost. But uh, as far as in- inquiries, sign-ups, I would say uh, since it was, what was it, four or five days ago, mm-hmm. I'd probably say there's been 30, 30 new students that have uh, inquired and, and mm-hmm. getting information and they're setting them That's up for the here. first class. Yeah, yeah, just here. All the schools have gotten a little boost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of them. I don't know if it's how like tremendous it's going to be, but uh, um, couple thousand more followers on Instagram, mm-hmm. couple mm-hmm. thousand more followers on Twitter. It hasn't been like crazy. Like, it's still jujitsu. Yeah. It's still jujitsu. It's still underground. It's still not. It's still underground. I think that's yeah. the other part too. Is like dudes who are obsessed with it, like us. Like we're like oh, every time something, anything happens, right? You yeah. just you're in it. But like. People forget that jujitsu is still like a big sidebar in North yeah. America. Yeah. It's a huge sidebar. Yeah. You yeah, know. Totally. What um I, I saw a student I wanted you to say, you know, Leo Vier, I wanna see you guys, you know, connect game again. How, how exciting even, is I that? I don't even wanna talk about uh, calling anybody out. I don't, or want, I don't, I don't even wanna talk about none of that. Look at that. Electric chair. There isn't like no, but as soon as you right start from. talking about opponents, then you get then a response. Little, yeah. I don't want any of that. I want peace, happiness, no stress, no no training for a fight right now. Right. I'll let you know you when I exhale. Ready. Maybe yeah, maybe six months, maybe a year. I don't know, but I'm just gonna enjoy my life right now. That's beautiful. Yeah. And you you talked about um, family. You know how motivational was it during these times? How how. What role did, did Draco play? Did 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 your your new 
fatherhood play? It was huge. It was huge. Talk to me about that. You know, because this is important. We yeah. forget about the family element in jiu-jitsu. We look at the fighter. We look at the submission. We he was a big inspiration. You know, there was so much pressure coming from all different angles that I just made it really simple. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it to make my son proud. And right before I walked out, I. FaceTimed him. Was ready to walk out. Mm. Timed it perfect. It was a tool for me. It was like you know, you, you know, that morning you, 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 you made sure you had a good night's rest. That morning I woke up, got in the sauna. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did you sleep much before? Uh, I slept okay. I yeah. slept all right. I got in the sauna, uh, did a little IV, put a little uh, B12 in my blood. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I timed my meals, mm-hmm. you know, had everything timed what out. What was your diet like in particular? Anything in particular? Uh, just really clean. Just mm-hmm. not crazy, but really clean. And um, and then I, t- you know, part of the routine was right before I walk out, I'm going to FaceTime Draco. Mm-hmm. I had my sister-in-law time it. She was, so I, I knew that when I saw him, just where's your nose? Where's your head and he's like where's your ears you know on FaceTime where's your mouth and I go like that where's your eyes like that just when I I knew that when I would see him and when I would talk to him that would make it so you, you know you know you know that feeling you get when you know, you, I don't, your, your son's old now, but uh, when he was a kid mm-hmm. and like a dog would come up and like bark, like the feeling you would get, mm-hmm. even if it was a like a pit bull, yeah. you know that you would rip that fucking pit bull's apart. face apart. <laughs> Like, and that would, yeah, all of a sudden you'd be this giant fucking gargoyle. You would eat his, like, and. You would bite his car. Yeah, and if he would, if he would bite your arm, it wouldn't hurt, not even yeah, a little bit. You'd slam him Like, you had those feelings, right? Anytime, I'm, anytime I'd be walking when I put him in the stroller, that's what I would think. Anytime I see a dog, there was this dog down the street that would start, come up to the fence and bark, and it looked like a, like a German shepherd. And. I would, I would destroy the thing. A bear, I would kill a bear. Right, right. Mike, Mike Tyson. I would, you know, so I know that power. I, you feel like a superhero, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew if I saw him, I would get in that superhero frequency where I just felt like, like Hoyler. I found Hoyler broken into my house, and he was in he was in Draco's room. What would I do? In that world. You know what I mean? And that, 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 that's, that's what I was feeling. Like, I'm going to go out there and do it for him. There's no, uh, there's no nerves or fear when your kids are. Yeah, uh, there's, you, yeah you, you just do, just, do you. just take a bullet and that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So look, last question. I know there was a little verbal whatnot about Hoist or with Hoist uh, back there. Um, and there's still dust kicking up all over the internet. Like... What do you walk away knowing and what do you walk away wanting people to know? Oh, about what? Hoist? About you, about the match, about all of it. Now we're here. What do you want people to know about you? And, and, and... I've been working really hard for jiu-jitsu. Everything I've done has been for jiu-jitsu. I dropped the gi for jiu-jitsu. Um, I would never try to leave the jiu-jitsu community. Um, it looks it looks like that. It's like, oh, he dropped the key and he said, uh, fuck you to the jiu-jitsu world. He's out. He's going to do his own shit and rip off names and rip off. It, was, it wasn't like that at all. The gi came off. We went no gi to help jiu-jitsu. I'm like a special units, Operation 40, uh, uh, Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu had a problem. Mm-hmm. The problem was the no gi bottom game, especially in MMA. And we've been all working, everybody in the 10th Planet Association, working hard 
to fix these problems. There's been a big resistance from the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community because they don't they they refuse to see the problem. They don't think there is a problem. They think everything is fine and dandy, and I don't think everything's fine and dandy. And I'm doing everything, um, if, even if without their uh, help, I would like the entire. Brazilian jiu-jitsu community to help, but very hard, very prideful people. Uh, there's a very prideful element to the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community where if, it, if it's, if they're not Brazilian, they, they just, you just get zero respect. And um, I'm sick of it, and I'm just going to do what I'm going to do anyway. So if they don't want to help out, we're just going to do it on our own. And, and, uh, and I think I proved Saturday night that what I've been doing this whole time, everything that we've been preaching is legit. It works. Just come on down. Uh, and if, if you thought uh, I was a fraud before, admit it, admit you were wrong. Be a man and come on down and learn it. And you know we'll all hang out and and bring jujitsu back all together. Thank you for being on the Bishop Chronicles, man. Thank you. Man. Much respect. Thank you, man. I gotta get out of here. All right. All right, teacher. What style is that? Technique.